Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hi, we are joined by Brenda Brock, founder and CEO of Pharmaesthetics, based in Newport, Rhode Island. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Hi, Jody. Thanks for joining us, Brenda. So our listeners are curious about the career paths and journeys of executives in the beauty industry and not necessarily the glossed over picture perfect PR story that a lot of people tell, but um, the honest and authentic ones. And you certainly have a very interesting story to tell. Um, I'd love to start off with you telling us what is differentiating about your brand. Well, I think that what I see and what I, I think the industry has recognized is that pharmaesthetics is based on traditional American rural recipes using crop-based ingredients. I'm from a farming family in Texas, seventh generation, and that's very much a part of our story, um, an honorarium to those uh, really uh, vital pieces of a more agrarian culture that absolutely had everything to do with health, vitality, beauty. I mean, you had to be in top shape to do the work required on the farm. So that that sense of well-being that we talk about today is really at the core of those um, rural cultures. Certainly it was in my farming family. So that's that's very... um, um, much the driving force behind the formulations. Um, I don't veer out into exotics. I stay just very rooted, if you will, in traditional herbal formulation using recognizable herbs, flowers, oils, and grains that you would find in um, certainly in the area of Texas that my family farm. Um, and uh, just with so few, in fact, ingredients how many amazing, powerful, beneficial um, preparations can be created from that? Not always what's new and razzle dazzle. Sometimes it's what is, in, you know, what is tried and true, and um, and that's what I do when I build product. I look at those. You know what I think is um, so distinctive about the product is the efficacy. Um, you know, I've tried a lot of products through the years and, um, you know, I've, I've experienced a level of efficacy and quick efficacy with pharmaceutics that really surprises me considering, you know, it's not a pharmaceutical, it's not a, a chemical-laden product. Um, and I have this great story that i love to share with you. Um, it makes me think of you now that there's face masks everywhere, right? There's sheet masks, there's... Um, <laughs> there's you know, wash-off mask, there's peel-off mask, there's magnet mask, and you have a clay mask, which you've had in your collection for, you know, quite some time. Um, and it really saved the day for me. Um, I had a day where I was on flights all day long. I didn't get home until 2 o'clock in the morning, went to bed, woke up at 7, got the kids off to school, looked in the mirror, and was <laughs> really surprised by how whack my skin looked, um, you know, from the sunscreen that was on me to like the day of the plane to not sleeping. So I reached for the clay mask, mixed it with the tonic and took a shower, went off on my day. The first person who saw me at work that day said, oh my God, your skin looks amazing. And I laughed so hard because, <laughs> you know, it was really in desperate situation. Um, so the product corrected my skin, which was really, you know, T- tired, it was tired skin, 
um, with no, no junk in the ingredients. And it makes me wonder why these products work so well. I love hearing that because um, it's such a testament to the intelligence in nature. Um, these products work so well because they, the ingredients are synergistic. They belong together. And uh, in that product, for example, there are three ingredients. It's organic rosehip powder. Uh, rosehip is a supremely high vitamin C content um, little bud that is on beech roses. Uh, these are dried and powdered. Um, and then, of course, the kaolin clay, which extracts um, the oiliness from the skin and closes the pores, decongests, if you will. Um, and peppermint, which is to soothe, cool, and comfort, which is exactly what you need when skin is stressed, tired. Um, there's sort of an inflammation level that's going on. So those three ingredients together do it all. They um, and and we could go into how it works and what are the constituents within each uh, of those ingredients are. But what really interests me about traditional herbal formulation, it's the magic that happens when the three come together. They sort of tend to all of the symptoms that we experience and that we see in our skin in such a perfect way. Sometimes it's like I use this to extract oil, and then I'm going to use another product to take down a little bit of information, and then I'm going to use this third product to give myself a little restorative blast of vitamin C, um, which you end up having, or, you know, and I always say like an earlobe cream, an eyebrow ointment, you know. Herbal formulation, traditional herbal formulation, um, is so supremely sophisticated in how they address all of those symptoms. Um, when you look in the mirror and say, I'm, uh, my skin is tired, <laughs> sometimes we don't know exactly what that means. Um, but ingredients in nature really do. They know how to, they know how to work with your body chemistry. So there's a little bit of, um, you know, just stepping back and letting, letting those traditional formulations work their magic. And that's what I kind of hear you just said. So. Oh, yeah, it was magic for sure. So I'd like to just shift gears a little bit and um, let's talk about you. Um, I'd love to know, you know, I don't, I don't think you woke up um, when you were five years old and you're in the beauty business. So I'd love to know what you were doing before you started in this industry. Well, you know, um, I have said this many times, and it's so true. It's all roads led here for me. Um, I grew up um, one of the youngest children and few females on a, um, a part of a farming family in central Texas outside Austin. My Hento Francis and cousins are all still there farming, but I was really lucky in that I was Every spring break, every summer break, I was <clears throat> on the farm and uh, just, uh, you know, a little kid running around sort of absorbing the kitchen culture of those women. That's uh, where there is such a deep um, oral tradition of passing along information, you know, not only a little good gossip, but how to take care of uh, ailments and how to protect your skin when, you know, how to cook, how to put things away for the winter. It was just, I was always enchanted by that. So my whole 
life. Um, uh, I did a million different things, but I, that was always my home base. I had next to my bed, you know, recipe books, uh, on, um, rural kitchen culture. Uh, I always have grown. I worked with my dad in the garden every weekend. You know, we grew herbs. I was needle pointing pictures of herbs when I was 14 years old. It was really interesting. The, 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 I was very compelled to follow that path. Um, so fast forward, I go to college at the University of Texas. I'm studying nursing. I'm particularly interested in preventative medicine, which was not really articulated in the curriculum at that time. Um, but uh, so I lost a little bit of interest there, um, ended up in the drama department studying playwriting um, and and acting. Um, did very well with that. Ended up in Denver. That was my first job out of college at the Denver Center Theater Company, um, where I continued to work as an actor and study playwriting and storytelling. Ended up in New York. And um, as some people know, my um, first job there um, was on a soap opera. And I got the job because they were doing a flashback sequence to 1888, and they were looking for, <laughs> believe me, uh, you can't make it up. Uh, and they were looking for a uh, young woman to play a pioneer farm woman who is protecting her land. And the actress had to ride a horse. So I got the job. <laughs> and I ended up working on that show for almost four years. The character was a nurse which is hysterical because my parents oh my were just crestfallen when I left uh, University of Texas nursing school. I remember calling my dad and say, hey, you know, you got a nurse in the family. <laughs> Make it a little bit more money than that. So anyway, you know, I worked on the show. I played that farm girl. I studied um, playwriting at the Actors Studio in the play that I was produced off-Broadway. Off-Off-Broadway, uh, it was called Summer at Polaris and is about a young farm woman living on West Texas trying to preserve the traditions and ways of her family and protect that heritage as the modern world encroached. It's just, so I was able to have a little bit of freedom on the weekends working for ABC and I came to Newport, Rhode Island and with a friend of mine from Texas just for a weekend and met a guy who is now my husband. Uh, we bought an old farmhouse and I plowed up an acre and started planting herbs. And, you know, as my friend said, I started to ride the horse in the direction it was going. And I, before you know it, I was making all my herbal preparations in that kitchen. Uh, and then had a child. My friend had an organic farm and a farm stand, started selling things that I made at the farm stand a woman from New York City, a well-known salon owner, was visiting Newport, bought some of the products. I mean, they are still in the same jars as they were at the farm stand, you know, with my labels. That's my handwriting. I hand-wrote them at the farm stand. Now they're scanned in. But um, that's how I ended up in the spa industry. So, I mean, it's just been I, – I could not have ever in a million years um, thought that I would have – first uh, uh, be in the beauty industry and 
which I didn't know anything about when I started looking for some way to take these recipes from five by seven index cards and sort of how do you make a bigger blender full, you know? Um, And I was very fortunate in finding a beautiful, very well-known dermatological laboratory and a scientist who had at that time really been looking for a way to work naturally within the cosmetic industry. And that was 17 years ago. And um, we were able to translate those to large batch production, um, pass all the same tests that any major cosmetic brand has to test for shelf life um, and uh, efficacy. And so that's how... I got to where I was going, and I think the through line for that is that I really did follow the heat, as they say. You know, what, where, what was I interested in, you know? I've always been interested in farmland and the conservation of that and those, then conserving those traditional ways of living, which is so rooted in wellness and well-being and sustainability. Um, and I told that story through you know, characters and acting and in writing. And, you know, I'm telling that same story now through, um, you know, the creation of, of products and, um, and the passing along of information um, as it was passed along to me. Um, and I love social media for that. It's allowing me to, to really say, you know, let's not forget these traditional ways that have worked so well, not only for us physically, mentally, physically, but for our planet for so long. Um, and so that's how I got here. <laughs> you know, that story is incredible. Um, our listeners will definitely want to know what soap opera you were on. Can you name it? I can. One Life to Live. I played, believe it or not, I played Brenda McGillis um, because when they went from the, my name was Mae McGillis in 1888, and then they wanted to bring the character into present day. So I'll never forget the the, um, producer at that time, Paul Roush, called me up in the office and said, hey, you want to stay around for another three years? And I was like, yeah. And, uh, I said, so what's, who's my character? And he said, uh, Brenda, how's that? Does that work for you? So I was like, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> but so it made awesome. for very confusing plane rides, man. I'd get on there and somebody go, oh, Brenda, and I'd think it was a friend and, you know, it'd be a fan. So, yeah, so that was the soap. And I was on there for four years, almost four years, and happily have so many friends uh, that are still in my life from from that time who have been tremendous supporters of my beauty brand journey. Um, It's so interesting how you went from studying nursing, loving the farm, playing a character who is a nurse on the farm, then you write about the farm and summer at Polaris, and now you're bringing that to life (laughs) through farm aesthetics. Um, yeah. But you could never have known that this journey would take you this way, right? No, um, no, you never. Just follow the invisible dots. Yeah, and it's funny. I th- it's like you, Dora Welty. I think that's who said it. She said, "You know, as as a writer, as a storyteller, uh, we really do t- get all of our impact before the age of twelve, and spend the rest of our lives telling the same story in a lot mm-hmm. of different ways." And I think that's been true for me. That's so cool. 
You know, I was trying to think of a theme that I think encapsulates um, what I know about you and your brand. And the theme I came up with is patience. Um, I think as an entrepreneur, it's really hard to be patient. Uh, You know, I've been doing this for 10 years and I've been incredibly impatient for, I'd say, eight of the 10 years. I'm just now starting to learn the value of patience. Um, And I think that patience embodies your spirit and the spirit of the brand. Um, You know, you've been developing this brand. I mean, I know it's been 17 years formally, but my guess is it's probably been 20 that you've really been tinkering with formulas. Um, And we know that stars are not born overnight. Um, I love the example of George Clooney. He's my, he's my go-to example when I think about patients, because when I was a little girl, I was watching a TV show called The Facts of Life, which was a sitcom in the 80s. And he had this really small role on The Facts of Life. And then it wasn't for like almost probably 15 years later that he became the George Clooney, thanks to, you know, ER and everything else that came after it. Um, so when I think of George Clooney and I think of pharmaceutics, I think about um, patients um, and that, you know, growth and um, building a business and building a reputation takes time. Um, would you agree that patience has been a key theme for you in developing the brand? Absolutely. And I, I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not sure I've had it like you, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, even when everything is going great, you're already on to the next challenge because that's just the nature of owning a business and being in this world. But I think the, the where I have had to exercise the most patience is in not being distracted by all you know, the shiny objects in the beauty industry um, that are compelling, you know. Well, maybe we should do this. Maybe you should do that. Maybe you need to add this. Maybe you need, you know, um, I can't do that and tell the pharmaceutic story, you know. I mean, it is farm with an F. And I need to really, that has, that required, especially when we first started to take off, that required enormous patience with my racing mind to stay very true to what this story is in this brand, you know, um, and the patience to go deeper, not wider, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And it takes some, it takes a community of, I have found, you know, like-minded business people, um, and maybe there are four of those to every 40 who might be wanting you to do and go another direction and, you know, stay with those who have your vision. Um, they hold your vision as their own in a way and help you stay patient with your your brand, you know, and the reality of what you're doing. I think that is really important in this day and age it's very easy to become homogenized and follow the latest, greatest. So, Brenda, I, I hear you talking about this idea of restraint and patience, um, and it makes me think of um, the seductive nature of growing a business, right? Like feeling like I should be doing something. Maybe I should spend my money this way. Should I hop on this trend? Um where should I put my focus? And um, I find it very seductive and I often have to literally sit on my hands and say, no, this is not right for me at this time for X reasons. Um, So can you talk a little bit more about um, that restraint that you have to execute to focus? 
Yeah, I think that patience um, to grow, especially when you're first starting to really take off, you know, there's a lot of interest and attraction and, and, you know, we need to rely on people to help us make decisions, not only to how we get products to market, but how we structure our organizations. And um, sometimes with, sometimes there can be a, um, a little bit of pressure <laughs> to grow faster, do more, you know, add this to your line, use these ingredients. And I think the the thing that has required the most patience in me is to really allow the truth of what I do to be paramount. <laughs> so, for example, you know, uh, when I'm looking at my recipe box and my ingredient deck that I um, tell my stories and build products from, you know, oftentimes we can do things a little less expensively by going another direction, uh, use a nature identical, you know, synthesize nature and it will be a little bit more in your control. Um, working with true naturals in a, nat- in, a, in, a, in a real natural formulator's way or an herbal formulation way, you know, we we experiment more and that takes a little more time. What is this whole ingredient, you know, with this whole ingredient? Um, So the patience to really step back a little bit when working this way and allowing the ingredients that you choose to be really the real deal, you know, and part of the true story. It's so easy to spin marketing hype around things and use all the right words. And we as consumers are going to believe that and feel that anyway. But, you know, it's one thing to use that um, message um, as an honorarium to the way you're working. Um, and I think that does take some patience. It's a little bit like the tortoise and the hare. You know, we we are a tortoise, a little bit more assured steps. Um, it's there was not really a green or a sustainable beauty category when I started in 1999. It did not exist. That's not how we talked about efficacious luxury beauty. And it took a long time to just be understood and accepted um, as a brand that could compete with pharmaceutical-grade products in the luxury beauty markets. There were lots of opportunities for us in natural food stores and all of those wonderful venues, but there were that was all, you know, that was a little like singing to the choir. Um, mm-hmm. it, was, it was really important to me to have that um, this kind of work accepted at that level, you know, um, and we are there. But that, it took almost as long to, you know, kind of create a, a, a way through the beauty industry as a natural, truly natural brand, um, you know, as it has once you get there to build it. But again, there are always easy ways to get and shortcuts to get to where you want to go, but that's not really what the sustainable beauty segment is about. I mean, sustainability in its definition by itself is, you know, we make decisions now, not only for what we need 
And in beauty, you know, we need that now. I need to look in the mirror and look like you did that day after your long term, you know, <laughs> not only now, but but in perpetuity, you know. So what are the manufacturers of these ingredients, you know, how is that Im- impacting the environment? How is all the plastic packaging impacting our environment and our water tables? I mean, these are the decisions that are at the heart of every decision I make as a formulator mm-hmm. and who I work with as a supplier. And that slows things down. So, you know what? Sometimes I just have to accept that and not get anxious about it. And that's not always easy. And that's why we need community of like-minded people who can help us feel like, okay, okay, you know, you're anxious, but that doesn't necessarily mean something's wrong. You know, in real life, you get anxious and it's usually a direction, okay, there's something wrong. That's not, sometimes that comes when something's right. Right. And um, we need each other, especially as business people. Um who are like-minded to remind each other of that. You know, you, um, you mentioned anxiety. Um, and as a business owner, I myself find that uh, my journey as an entrepreneur is an explore, exploration into how do I manage anxiety? I think I've mm-hmm. learned more about myself and about how I react to things and what my decision-making is based on, and whether it's fear-based or, you know, smart-based. <laughs> um, it's always it's really come to be um, as I've grown the business that management of my anxiety. Um, and that makes me think, you know, as an entrepreneur yourself, there's probably good days and there's probably hard days. Um, what is, what does a hard day look like or feel like to you? And how do you manage that? Ha. Huh. <laughs> um, I think the hardest Part. A hard day is if within my organization uh, there is some um, misalignment with our mission, which doesn't happen very often. I've been so, I'm knocking on wood right now, but I can't tell you how lucky I am to have the executive team, management team um, that I have in place. And the production team, we're a small team, but we're mighty. But it is very, very important that everybody has the same goal and their hearts in the right place. And when I get very anxious is when maybe I've made a hire that isn't right. And boy, you know it fast. Uh, the, the resume didn't quite line up with the mission. And there is a, um, and it's difficult. We I manage in a, you know, it's very transparent, very consensus management style because that's all I know. I didn't go to school to study management. Um, I have people now coming on who (laughs) have, and that makes things um, run more smoothly. But I think a, uh, a day full of anxiety is when I've recognized that I've brought someone on board that isn't quite right because I have respect for them. I'm very, very careful about who I add because you know, I know how hard it is to get a job that you like and you want to keep it. So sometimes that judgment is, is this that, you know, how do I be compassionate as a leader, but also really compassionate for the team already in place? I'm learning all the time. And, um, mm. you know, we're, any business is about people and relationships. That's it. Not only with your 
You know, when I, my vendors and suppliers, I feel like I have more control over that, like in the labs and the farmers and the, in my raw material suppliers. Um, but when you get into the day-to-day working together and making sure that everyone's moving in the right direction, um, managing relationships, um, if you're not careful, can take up a lot of your time. Um, so that's a sweet spot I'm working on. I need to find that sweet spot and stay there, you know. Um, and again, that takes patience. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, um, I've i also found over the past 10 years of my experience being an entrepreneur that um, I don't celebrate my victories big enough, right? I move on to the next mm. thing too quickly. Um <laughs> Is that your experience, or do you um, have you found a way to uh, really celebrate those those victories, whether they're big or small ones? It makes me laugh. But I remember when I first started this, I was talking with the the president of one of the laboratories I work for, and one of the first things he said to me is, "You know, when you have a victory, you're going to celebrate like crazy for about sixty seconds." <laughs> then you're going to be already moving on to, oh, my God, how do I do this next? And that is really true. But that moment of victory, even if it's only 60 seconds, is so sweet. But victories in business move you to a next level. And so, you know, is the leader of the company and in uh, our development, I recognize very quickly, all right, <laughs> all right, so now we're in a new place. And, uh, you know, everyone sits around and looks at you and they're like, okay, so now what? And it's, that can be, you know, that can be daunting. But we definitely celebrate victories. We had an, an incredible milestone year. And um, I made sure that the moment we were all very clear about how we were ending the year, I had a case of pink champagne in my car. <laughs> so we, I, we shut the place down at like 2 o'clock and popped those bottles. And and I thought, oh, we'll just have like 30 minutes and a little toast, and then everybody's leaving for the, you know, for New Year's. We all stayed there for four hours as a group and talked and laughed and reviewed our year. So this was really... The first time I took a, I took four hours to celebrate my. Oh, that's uh, wonderful! Victory, yeah. And I'm going to do more of that. I'm glad you're reminding me of that. Yeah, I think that even if we take um, those sixty seconds, even if it's not four hours, it's sixty seconds to, in a meaningful <laughs> way. Say out loud, "This is pretty freaking cool," and yeah. we've earned it, and we worked hard for it, and. Um, acknowledging it because I find myself moving way too fast to solving the next problem. Um, yeah. And then in my but head is really the milestones become the, the challenges, which obviously linger a lot longer, right. Than the victories. Um, but it should be real. I would you, like to flip it for myself. And if you don't recognize the victory or the milestone, you might miss it. You know what I mean? You might it might just be a continuation of what was. I mean, if you look at those victories as like putting your flag in the ground, you know, if you're an explorer as you hit those milestones on Mount Everest, you put your flag in the ground. You know, it's a it's a measuring um tool for you. And I really think that celebrating victories is a measuring tool. We need to honor that and recognize that that's really important. That's putting a pin on the map. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, and to take that moment to mindfully, and especially with your team, all recognize where we are at this moment in time together. It's a great platform for (laughs) what's coming uh, next, you know? Yeah. Well, Brenda, thank you so much for your time and for um, being so honest and open with us. I know our listeners are really excited to hear your story. Um, Thanks again for your time. Thank you, Jody. This was really fun. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.